Let's start the show by talking about my sponsor, Paloma Verde, and their new website, PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check them out for all of your CBD needs. They've got the gummies, tinctures, the salves. So if you're needing anything to maybe chill you out, something to help you get mellowed out, something for your joint pain and stiffness, go over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and give them a check out. Carlos and Vanessa are awesome people. They run a great company. And if you enter the promo code FACTS at checkout, you'll get 25% off your order. Plus, any order over $75, you get free shipping. So, I don't know what you're waiting for. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check them out. Let's start the show. This episode will be completely taken out of context. Welcome to the Fact Check This Podcast. Fact check this podcast, and today I am going to talk about something that's probably going to be controversial. I want to preface this episode because if you have read the title, you already know what I'm going to be talking about. Um, I have plenty of friends who are gay. I there are plenty of people in this podcast community that I have a huge amount of respect and love for who are gay. Uh, the things that I'm going to talk about here are strictly from a uh, biblical, scriptural, and evangelical standpoint. They are not my feelings towards individual people. Um, and, and I'll get into more on that as we go through the article. But uh, I happened to come across this, and I, I really, I have really liked the Gospel Coalition uh, for a long time. It's an excellent piece of. Christian uh, news and commentary. They cover a lot of different topics. They cover a lot of what's going on in the world, and they do so from a very evangelical Christian, uh, strictly biblical standpoint. It's it's very gospel driven. Um, so so I happened to stumble across this, and and I thought it would be a good follow up to the last episode on christian nationalism uh, kind of tying uh tying all the faith and faith and culture and what's going on in in the u.s all together a bit so with this topic and with this article in particular i'm just going to pull it up and we're going to kind of run through the whole thing and i'll give my commentary along the way uh, so this is evangelical and lgbt plus ally why you can't be both uh, and this is an article from Joe Carter came out about a week ago, a little, little over a week ago. Some words like strategic castles are worth defending and evangelical is among them. Michael Gerson wrote, while the term is notoriously difficult to define, it certainly encompasses a born again religious experience, a commitment to the authority of the Bible and an emphasis on the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. Gerson wrote these words in an article for the Atlantic in 2018. He ends his essay by saying, this sets an urgent task for evangelicals to rescue their faith from its worst leaders. Gerson, who previously served as a top aide and speechwriter for George George W. Bush and is the author of Heroic Conservatism and co-author of City of Man, a book edited by Colin Hansen and Tim Keller, has been an evangelical voice in the public square. It's unfortunate, then, that he now uses arguments about sexuality that contradict scripture and the church's historic witness. 
As he notes, being an evangelical means being committed to the Bible's authority, a position he seems to have now abandoned. And most of this article is less of an attack on homosexuality and more of a critique of uh, of Michael Grisson, uh, who, like it talks about, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, Tim Keller is a, an excellent Christian author and and very, very devout evangelical and uh, has made his positions on a lot of biblical things very, very clear over the years. Um, so like Grisson was previously uh, what would you would consider like more traditional Christian. And over the years, he has shifted into being more whatever the culture is, as opposed to what is actually fundamental Christian. Has the LGBT plus movement harmed anyone? During Pride Month, Gerson used his forum in the Washington Post to write about how gay rights the gay rights movement found excuse me how the gay rights movement found such stunning success the article's key thesis is that the conflict over gay rights supporters have asserted a compelling view of human dignity while opponents have struggled to explain how broadening rights harms others to support his claim grisson provides three examples his first example some conservatives claim that gay marriage would somehow weaken the institution of straight marriage but the evidence that same-sex marriage increases rates of divorce, child poverty, or children living in single-parent homes appears non-existent. His criteria reveals that he never truly understood the argument for how heterosexual marriage would be weakened by the same-sex marriage. Consider, for example, the issue of redefinition of marriage. For almost all of human history, marriage has been considered the comprehensive union, uh, union of man and woman that unites them for a purpose of procreation, family life, and domestic sharing. By simply redefining the term, it automatically devalued the institution. And this is something that I've talked about uh, fairly significantly, is the redefining of terms. Words have no value anymore. And that's, that's a, it's a symptom of the incredibly progressive society that we live in. It's just sort of the way that things have gone and, with progressivism and wokeism, whatever you want to define uh, either of those terms, one of the key things is it's a blurring of line. It's a of lines. It's a, a muddying of definitions, uh, which we also get into later on in this article uh, with gender. But it, it's taking everything and just kind of making making things not have value, making things not have any true definition it can be whatever you want it to be it's the it's the woke christianity problem jesus it's it's buddy jesus and he just wants you to be happy and do whatever you want to do and blah 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 blah. it it doesn't matter as long as you're not hurting anybody if you're happy jesus is happy never mind that there are very clearly defined things that are sin and there are you know uh, morally there are clear black and white you know, good and evil things, but no, no, as long as you're happy, that's what God wants for you, which is, which is like the most counter biblical thing I've ever heard. If Gerson is looking for a more direct harm, he could look at the rise of non-monogamous relationships. As I wrote nine years ago, being mono monogamish-ish, 
monogamish. Uh, when a couple is emotionally intimate only with each other, yet engages in sexual infidelities or group sexual activities, has long been considered acceptable and even normative within homosexual communities. As our nation embraces the acceptance of same-sex marriage, the idea that fidelity isn't required within marriage has also been increasingly accepted. A poll taken in 2021 found that the generation of adults most influenced by LGBT plus culture is adopting this view of fidelity. Four in 10 millennials, 41%, said that they'd be interested in having an open relationship. Among millennials who identify as gay, lesbian, bisexual, or other, 52% would be interested in an open relationship. Among married couples from every generation, 30% of husbands would be interested and fewer wives, 21%, feel similarly. I think that's kind of funny, but uh, this shouldn't be surprising since queer theory and LGBT plus activists have long stated that fidelity in relationships is a heteronormative standard that needs to be discarded. And see, this is some of the stuff that this is not to say this against anybody who I'm friends with, because I don't think that most of the gay friends that I have um, are necessarily promoting of this, but there is a very real LGBTQA plus agenda that's going on in the background that, um, again, I don't think all gay people subscribe to it, but in the more... I don't know. I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist or some sort of kook, but fucking I might as well. Um, in the more nefarious ways of the people who are pulling the strings in the background, there are definitely things that are being pushed. And and the erosion and complete dissolving of the nuclear family is one of those things. And creating these situations, I mean, uh, the whole swinging culture and like the cuck bullshit like there is there have been so many so many guys who are uh like prominent individuals who've come out and admitted that they not only allow but encourage and watch as their wives fuck other dudes that it it is becoming an epidemic unto itself. These are not these are not acceptable things. This is not this is not marriage. This is not biblical marriage, especially uh, you know, man and wife. It's the two of you, and and yes, we can go into the Old Testament stuff with uh, the concubines and and stuff like that. And that's that changed. I feel like the the atheistic argument uh, that wants to throw every Old Testament thing out there as uh, as some sort of a, like a a grenade that you can't get away from. That's the whole point of of Jesus and the death and resurrection and the New Testament. It's it, it's the new covenant that takes us from where we were as God's people in the Old Testament and takes us into what we're supposed to be moving towards in a post 
post-resurrection world, uh, and anticipating his coming again. So, man and woman, that's like that's it, and and it's pretty, pretty clearly defined in the New Testament and by Jesus Himself. Uh, pretty pretty well explained, but. The erosion of the nuclear family, and it's it's definitely the like the world economic uh, great reset globalism bullshit. It's making everybody into one thing. They don't strip individualism away, make everybody so unique that nobody's ever unique anymore. And we're all the collective. We are not individual family units. Like that's that's the plan. That's the goal. That's what it's going for. It's surprising that anyone can still believe the fight over same-sex marriage was about opening the door for marital fidelity for homosexuals. Whatever we were led to believe, the reality is that lesbians and gay men have limited interest in getting married. Only 4% of gay men and 6% of lesbians choose marriage compared to a historic low of 53% for uh, heterosexuals. About 30% of gay men are in non-monogamous relationships, which means they're five times more likely to be in an open relationship than to be married and faithful to their partner. Even bisexuals are more likely to be married at 32%, though with an opposite sex partner, 84% of bisexuals are involved with someone of the opposite sex. So the the numbers and everything aren't of particular importance, but what it's getting at and kind of driving at is that... uh, Gay people, generally speaking, aren't interested in getting married. Um, that like this wasn't something that was necessarily necessary. And and talking about the the number of gay men who are in non monogamous relationships, uh, I mean we're we're seeing that we're seeing that rear its ugly head with the monkeypox thing as it's. As that's been, I guess it's kind of shifted out of the news because <laughs> the more the more that they tried to to play up that monkeypox was some sort of a legit thing to be worried about, the more the numbers just kept proving that it's exclusively something that affects homosexual men and pretty specifically homosexual men who are engaged in uh, sex parties and non-monogamous relationships. So. You know, it, there's there's definitely a culture for that within, or a subculture for that within gay culture, and that's a thing that, like, that is anti. That's anti-Christian, and it's anti-Christian marriage, for sure. No longer born this way, Kersan also argues that another reason for supporting gay rights is an implication of genetics. Though there seems to be no single gay gene, scientists in the field generally affirm a role for genetics in the determination of sexual orientation, he says. And imposing social or legal disadvantages on individuals for an unchosen disposition seems a violation of basic fairness. Gerson doesn't seem to realize that the argument from genetics peaked around 2011. Uh, The trend is now to admit that sexuality is fluid. Indeed, for more than 20 years, longitudinal research has showed that people sometimes change their sexual orientation. And a study published in the the journal journal Science in 2019 put an end to the claim that the gay gene causes homosexuality. 
Uh, and it's there's a link to the article. I can share it, but I'm not going to go through it on the show. Uh, also, in 2021, nearly one in 10, 9.1% of millennials, Americans between born between 1981 and 1996, and one in six, 15.9% of members of Gen Z, which are born from 1997 to 2002, identify as LGBT+. In comparison, only 3.8% of Gen X, born from 65 to 80, 2% of baby boomers, born from 46 to 64, and 1.3% of traditionals, born before 46, identify as something other than heterosexual. The numbers have always been very low, number one, but they're progressively increasing, especially with these younger generations. And it's because of the social and the cultural norm, uh, normalizing and promotion of this sort of thing. It's it's uh, the next paragraph kind of summarizes it. Does Gerson believe genetics has changed so rapidly that unchosen sexual orientation is doubling with every generation? Doesn't he see how social contagion and normalized homosexuality, more than just public acceptance, have led to the trendiness of identifying as homosexual? If the disposition can be chosen, as many young people will claim, then his argument falls apart. And that's something that's interesting. My my children, I was talking to them about school and stuff, and I can't remember how we got on it, but uh, got to talking about gender identity and some of that dumb shit <laughs> and they said that uh, half the kids in the school are either trans uh what was it gay fake trans some or something made up or a furry and the other half are uh, cl- closeted homophobes. <laughs> that's that's interesting. That and what's really funny about the conversation is like my kids when they talk about this stuff and and seeing this stuff in school, they know that it's fake. They know that it's bullshit. They know that it's all made up. It's all for attention. It's like, it's, it's a chosen disposition. The these people don't actually believe this. It's it's something that makes you unique, especially in a in a society and in a culture that has stripped uniqueness. In that it is so emphasized uniqueness that the more unique you are, the more you fit in. So it creates this like perpetual motion machine of especially for younger people who are you know in that age where they're trying to figure out who and what they are in life and and just kind of put shit together you know they are now always being told that you know the more diverse you are the better and you need to have all these things and be all these pronouns and blah 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 and it's it's not cool to be normal it's it's almost outcast to be normal, especially to hold evangelical conservative Christian values. That's like, uh, you know, that's your that's your red letter. You are you you could be shunned. So if you're going to fit in and you're going to to be noticed and 
be paid attention to and be loved and and have everybody like want to be friends with you then you've got to accept all of these random crazy bullshit things and you've got to be a fucking furry or identify as a cat or say that you're a toy self or fish self or you know what the fuck ever like there are g and jure and and come up with your own pronouns for whatever you feel like today and that might change tomorrow you know if you're a, a boy go try out for the women's basketball team and and that's uh bigoted if they don't let you play man i should have played girls basketball when i was in high school i would have dunked on all them hoes no offense i love all you hoes it's it's a disease it's a mental illness and it's being promoted and encouraged for kids to accept this mental illness to embrace it and to fully live it. And it's no wonder that we have so much depression and anxiety and all of these other uh, legitimate, also legitimate mental illnesses with our, with our children, with young people, because they've got so much pressure for all of this crazy shit. And deep down, they know it's not fucking right. That's why, that's why their brains are fucking breaking at record levels. That's why we have so much mental illness in young people is because they know this shit isn't right, but they don't have a choice. It's you either accept that it's all good without condition or you're shunned and a social pariah. And I've tried to encourage and teach my kids, fuck everybody else. You should not worry about what anybody else thinks of you. You should be true to yourself. You should be true to what's actually true in the world, what's true in your faith. And if people don't like you because of that, fuck them. You you weren't meant for them anyway. Or they weren't meant for you. Uh, continuing on. So maybe the Bible is just wrong. So... Going back to Grisson, his most perplexing reason, at least for someone who identifies evangelical, is that the Bible may just be wrong. Among religious young people, certain questions are growing and more insistent. Why should we assess homosexuality according to Old Testament law that also advocates the stoning of children who disobey their parents? Children who disobey their parents should absolutely be stoned. If you little bastards are listening, get yourselves ready. I got, I'm gathering up my rocks. Uh, isn't it possible that the Apostle Paul's views on homosexuality reflected the standards of his own time rather than the views of Jesus, who never mentioned the topic? There's little wonder that, according to a few research poll, uh, research center poll, over half of white evangelicals 50 and older oppose gay marriage, while over half of those under 50 in the same group support gay marriage. And we're getting into all of this stuff. Uh, yes. The Apostle Paul's views reflected the standards of his time, but they also reflected the standards of humanity and Christianity and what God expects of us and what Jesus expects of us. And that doesn't change. That's not that's not subject to to uh, your feelings and and changing sentiments within society. That's these are bedrock foundational things. These are these are what make christian uh what make you christian 
So we would expect a 20-something TikToker trying to accommodate his faith to culture to make this type of argument. But it's embarrassing for a 58-year-old Wheaton College graduate of a self-professed evangelical to shrug and say Jesus had nothing to say about homosexuality and that the best of the Bible's commentaries on it is outdated. As Christians have been pointing out for more than 2,000 years, the reason Jesus never mentioned homosexuality is that his views on sexuality were already so clear it wasn't necessary. That Jesus did so, uh, did do, was speak explicitly about sexual immorality, which includes homosexuality, as you can find in Matthew 5, 28 and 5, 9, uh, 15, 19, and define marriage according to the view of Genesis 2, 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, Matthew 19, 5. Until recently, serious-minded people didn't argue that Jesus would endorse homosexual relationships, much less same-sex marriage. And and there are other parts of the New Testament that go very explicitly into uh, how the institute of marriage works with a man and a woman and, and all of that. The corruption of a religious tradition by politics is tragic. Gerson wrote in his 2018 article for The Atlantic, shaming those who participate in it. That's certainly true, and Gerson, along with other LGBT plus supporting evangelicals, have corrupted our faith and tradition by embracing the politics of LGBT plus activism. And that's the thing. It's it's become political, and it's been become cultural, and it's become the thing that you have to do to be popular. Christian faith is as guilty of bending to cultural bullshit and wanting to be popular and wanting to be liked and wanting to be respected by the people who are making the rules, uh, that it has sacrificed its own identity. It's, It's when I tell my kids, be you. Don't worry about what other people think. Be true to yourself. Be true to your faith. Be true to what you know is right and good. And if other people don't agree, that's on them. But you have to be you. And that's the foundation of Christianity. Christianity was not founded to be some popular thing. Christianity was not founded to be mainstream. It was uh, Christians of the early church were the counterculture. And somewhere along the way, they figured out. I mean, let's let, let let's be very very clear. the The Roman Catholic Church figured out that it could wield power and huge amounts of money by influencing culture and doing things that were popular. And so that's why we that that was the beginning of the degradation and and collapse of. Christian faith was figuring out that you could wield power, influence, and a shitload of money if you just told people what they wanted to hear, did it from a fucking pulpit, and here we are. And we need to get back to fundamental basics of Christianity and and being, being the counterculture, being the people who said bold things that weren't well-received. And to put a bow on all of this, in Matthew, it says that, I'm pretty sure it's Matthew. I could be wrong, but I'm almost positive. 
in Matthew. It says that if your brother is sinning, you call him out on it. Not that you accept him or just accept the sin. Not that you say, oh, it'll be fine. He's not hurting anybody. You call him out. And if he won't change, then you bring a couple others with you. And you tell him what he's doing and tell him that it's wrong and tell him that he needs to change. And if he still won't do it, then you bring him before the church. And as a church body, as a church family, you call him out on what he's doing. You tell him that it's wrong. Ask him to change. And if he still won't do it, then you cast him out because he is not one of you. He is not a part of your body. Nowhere does it say you you stop loving or caring about this person. Nowhere does it say that you should stone this person or treat them badly. But you remove them from the body because they are not a part of your of you. If they wish to live in that sin and they will not change, then they don't have a place amongst your group. It's the, you know, covenant community, hoppy, hoppyism, um, hoppy and type of an attitude. But like, that's what it is. That's, that's how you deal with sin as a Christian, is you call it out. You don't embrace it and encourage it, which is what modern Christians have done, trying to be nice and instead have bastardize the faith. That's all for today's episode. I will be back um, Monday. Mark Metz and I are going to talk about Dan Price, uh, the CEO that changed the world, giving everybody $70,000. And uh, We're going to talk about what a stand-up guy Dan Price is. That'll actually be a live stream, so if you're listening to this at 6 o'clock on Wednesday morning when it releases. Uh, tune in here in about three hours because we're going to be doing it live. Um, but if you don't catch it live, you can always go back and watch it on YouTube or Rumble or just wait until next Monday when it comes out as a podcast. Hope everybody has a great rest of your week, a great weekend, and I will see you Monday. Monday.